Would you uh, take the Word of God this evening and uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 21. Exodus and uh, chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 12. As I mentioned, when we come to the books of the law, and when you look at the Word of God, the books of the law, they're also called the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you have Exodus, or, or Genesis, sorry. <laughs> Got to get the right order right. Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, those are all the books of the law, referred to as the books of the law. Uh, when we think about the law, there are three categories that are included if we were to divide the law into three sections. There is, a, first of all, the moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. You find those in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, that law is uh, universal in that it is, I believe, the law, according to Romans chapter 2, that's written in the heart of man, that even the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. And so we know that there is uh, some universal law today. Uh, who knows you think about the standard of morality, most societies today are based on that moral law. And uh, God has put that in the heart of man. By the way, that's why when man sins, even though he's never read the Bible, he knows that he is sinning. He knows that he is doing wrong. He is violating the moral law of God. Uh, there is then a second category, and that is there is the judicial or the civil law. And those are referred to in Exodus chapter 21 as the judgments of God. Uh, this is the governing social conduct for the nation of Israel. Uh, these are really first found in chapters 21 through 23 in the book of Exodus. And this is specifically Israel functioning under a theocracy. Uh, no doubt Moses uh, is the leader at this point. Joshua is going to be the leader. We see that in the book of Joshua. But nonetheless, they were to operate as a theocracy under the rule of God. And God gave them judgments. And those judgments specifically were given to give discernment and aid to the judges in the nation of Israel to judge the people. So a lot of the judgments we found, find here are not commandments. They're rather scenarios. Here is an example of how you ought to respond if this happens. Here is the punishment that is to be meted out for someone who violates the law in this manner. So that's why they're referred to as judgments. They were specifically for those who would be judges in the nation of Israel. Then there are the ceremonial, there's the ceremonial law, which deals with the religious life uh, surrounding specifically the tabernacle uh, of the congregation of Israel. Uh, those are instituted first in Exodus chapter 25, and they're specifically emphasized in the book of Leviticus. Now, as I mentioned, the Israel, the nation of Israel, is operating purely as a theocracy at this point. Uh, and the nation of Israel was directed according to divine appointment, and these laws, therefore, are called judgments. We dealt in the first part of chapter 21 with uh, servants, specifically law surrounding servants, a servant who maybe had an indebtedness uh, would uh, serve for six years, and when the seventh year came, he could be free. He could choose at that moment to either 
be free and leave his master or choose to continue to serve his master freely by his own choice. Uh, if he did so, then he would be uh, marked and his ear would be, um, uh, in the sense, uh, bore through at the doorpost of the master's house. And then we talked about if uh, a man is in uh, such deep poverty that he has to sell his daughter with the intent that she be taken care of. We talked about here the idea of uh, don't deal deceitfully, uh, but deal in mercy with those who are within the nation of Israel. Uh, now we come from verse 12, and we're going to read down to verse 27. And I want us to see here if we can, uh, before we read, uh, let me set forth, there is something that is repeated. There is a theme running through those verses from verse 12 to verse 27. There's something that we must draw out. Um, and uh, I've said this before, but when we come to the scriptures, we want to place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. As a preacher of the word, as I study God's word, that's what I always try to do. I'm trying to find where is God places the emphasis, placing the emphasis, and I want to place the same emphasis. Um, and so we're going to begin reading in verse 12. Uh, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. We'll read down to verse 27. There's one word that keeps coming back over and over again. And it's not a word like and or anything like that. It's, it's uh, uh, an important word. And so I'm going to ask you as we ask when I'm reading what that word is. So let's begin reading in verse 12. The Bible says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And if men strive together and one smite another with a stone or with his fist and he die not but keepeth his bed by the way keepeth his bed means he, he's not dead but he's injured to where he, he's basically confined to his bed for a period of time of recovery that's what that means verse 19 if he rise again and walk abro uh, abroad upon his staff then shall he that smote him be quit uh, quit means or innocent or let go he doesn't have to pay a penalty, only he shall, uh, in, the sense, in that sense of death, uh, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his money. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give him life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man 
smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his, man, his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. What is a word that we find over and over again in the passage? Smite. Okay, good. You all got it. It's the word smite. Uh, I want to deal this um, evening with the destructive nature of anger, but I want to be careful into labeling anger in the right way. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. There is um, what we might refer to as righteous indignation. That's not what we're talking about here. I hope we understand uh, by the word smite. Anger, as we think about it, is uh, an emotion that we may feel in the present, and it could be towards something that's wrong or for righteousness. Uh, But what does that emotion cause us to do is really what is at the heart of this passage. And so I want to preach this evening on the destructive nature of anger. We find what it does and the consequences uh, for anger. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Uh, Give us understanding. Lord, help us to learn something about you this evening from your word as you Lay forth those judgments before your people, uh, the nation of Israel, through your servant Moses. And I pray that you would help us to not look at this passage in a superficial way, but uh, help us to understand the issue that you are emphasizing among your people that certainly must be emphasized today in the church. And we ask your blessing on this study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, as I've mentioned here, uh, the word smite uh, found in verse 12, 15, 18, 20, 26, and 27. There is a repetition here of uh, the word smite. Uh, Verse 12, he that smiteth a man. Verse 15, he that smiteth his father or his mother. Verse 18, one uh, smite another with a stone. Verse 20, he uh, he a man smite, uh, shall a man smite his servant. Verse 26, if a man smite the eye of his servant. Verse 27, if he smite out his uh, manservant's tooth. And so there is an emphasis here on the smiting that takes place. But as we look at this passage, we can uh, bring them down into various categories of smiting. And we're going to find here that there is uh, what we might refer to as the smiting that comes from a cultivated hatred for somebody else. Uh, Then we're going to see that there is another category, and that is the smiting that comes from a deeply rooted disregard and dishonor. And then there's a third category, and that is... um, the smiting that comes from impulsive anger. So there's a a cultivated hatred. There is a deep-rooted disregard and dishonor. And there is also the impulsiveness that causes a man to smite. And I would like to have that as the parameters for our text as we think about this theme here of smiting as we find it through those verses. Uh, before we go into the study, really, of this chapter, um, 
Exodus chapter 21, when we come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus begins his public ministry. One of the first teaching that he did publicly was the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things he tried to accomplish in the Sermon on the Mount is to correct the teaching that was prevalent among the Jewish rabbis of the day, the things that had passed down for generation and generation. And as a matter of fact, this text, Jesus refers to this text, and as he confronts or as he instructs his disciples, he says, you've heard it wrong. You've heard that it had been said by them of old. Uh, the traditions of the rabbis of old, you've heard the traditions passed on, their interpretation of this text, and Jesus seeks to correct the misquoting and the misapplication of the Old Testament scriptures. It is in that Sermon on the Mount that Jesus Christ, remember, says in Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. So Jesus Christ, sometimes people come and some Bible teachers say, Well, Jesus Christ was adding something new. I, I really don't believe that at all. He was simply correcting the false teaching that was prevalent among the Jewish people of the day that had been passed down through tradition. That's what Jesus did. He is trying to bring them back to the spirit of the law and not just to the letter of the law. And remember, Jesus would confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of those day, days by saying to them repeatedly that by their traditions they made the law of God of none effect. That's how corrupted they had taken the text of the Old Testament to misapply it in their present day. So I would like, if you hold your place here, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. And I want us to see here what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 5. There's two sections that I would like to look at. The first one is, when we think about the question, how was Exodus 21 misquoted and misapplied? How was it misquoted and misapplied? Uh, come with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. Notice with me, Matthew 5, 38. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Isn't that what we read in Exodus 21? Okay. When he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, uh, when you read throughout the text, it says, By them of old. And so, the Jews would listen to, you, th you have the, um, the Talmud was the Jewish commentary of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. The Talmud was a, today we have commentaries, Bible commentaries. Well, at that time they had the Talmud, which was a Bible commentary, passed down by tradition from prominent rabbis throughout the centuries, they would compile those. They were not scripture, but they were interpretations of the scripture. And here Jesus Christ, when he said, you have heard, this is what you've heard. And when he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, he knows that that's what the scripture says in Exodus chapter 21. But what he is concerned with is the interpretation of that. Now notice what he says. Verse 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, here is what the Jews of that day had done with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. They were giving the, the Jewish people justification to exercise revenge. They would say, the Bible says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Therefore, it is your right and your prerogative to avenge yourself. And Jesus says, that's not what that means. That's not what was intended with that. When, when Exodus 21, as I'll show you, that is the consequences of the smiting and the display of anger and dishonor. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But the point is, that's how they had used the text. They were teaching the people, it is okay for you to avenge yourself. To exercise revenge. And by the way, we know that not just from the New Testament, but from the Old Testament, what does the Bible say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now, we'll see that at the end of the message in Romans chapter 12. Now, how was, on the other hand, Exodus 21 to be understood, to be quoted, and to be applied? Well, Jesus actually did that earlier in our text. Notice with me uh, back in Matthew 5 and verse 21. Here is what Jesus says. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That is a reference to Exodus 21. That's what he's referring to. He's talking about the spirit of the law. The act of murder then you are innocent. It is okay for you to be angry. It is okay for you to hate as long as you don't commit the act. And Jesus is absolutely not. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, we're in verse 22 of Matthew 5, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Let me just put it this way. He says, you, you really want to be right with God? Here is what you do. If you have a disagreement with your brother and you're angry at your brother and you come and bring a sacrifice to the altar, I am not interested in the sacrifice. I don't want any of it. I first want you to reconcile to your brother, and then when you reconcile, then you can bring your gift to the altar. So the emphasis here, again, this is not any act. He says, if there is aught against your brother, if you're angry at him without a cause, you better get that right, then I will accept your gift. Okay, so Jesus said, That's, that, that is the spirit 
of the law that was intended by the commandment, thou shalt not kill. In Exodus chapter 21 is an expansion of that commandment. Thou shalt not kill. But we're diving into now the spirit of the law, uh, not just the letter of the law. Again, it's wrong to murder a man. It's wrong to take uh, his life. Uh, But also further than that, there's something that is deeply rooted within man that causes him to do that. And that's what God is interested in dealing with. That's what he's interested in dealing with. And I trust that as God's people, we do not rest content with saying, well, look, I'm a pretty good Christian. I haven't killed anybody. I I hope that that is not our standard for our spirituality and obedience to God. I trust that we strive to live by the spirit of the law, not to live by the oldness of the letter, uh, but by the newness of the spirit. Now, if we go back to Exodus chapter 21, so Jesus Christ was trying to correct and emphasize the spirit of the commandments, not just the letter of the law. As we come back to Exodus chapter 21, uh, we really break it down into three sections here. The first section in Exodus 21, verse 12 through 14, again, within this area of smiting thy brother, thy father, thy servant, uh, right, all of those things, uh, we first to see the the statement made in verse 12. And he says this, and we're talking here about God is dealing here with someone who is cultivating hatred towards somebody else. And I use the word cultivating purposefully because of what we find in our text. If you notice with me, verse 12, he says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Now that's pretty straightforward. If you're involved and if you strike a man, and you can use anything, whether it is a tool, a rock, or your own hand, as he expounds in this text, uh, and that man dies, then the consequences of that is a life for a life. You take somebody's life, then you lose your life. Uh, By the way, that's why as Christians, we ought to be for the death penalty. Now, now I say that uh, very... uh, reverently and not carelessly because people always people say well what about cases where it's unknown well in cases where it's unknown you don't take the person's life it's when it is absolutely certain and I don't think that it is beneficial to a society to pay for someone to live a long life who's murdered 20 people and it's been documented and it's been proved and you give that person a life sentence and we pay for it for the rest of his life they can watch TV, go to the gym, and do basically live a comfortable life for the rest of their lives. I don't think that that's right. And I base that statement on God's law. On God's law. Now, he's going to set forth some parameters to where we could say, all right, here, there's, there's got to be a, a way we can uh, gauge the difference because there are some exceptions to this. And notice what he says in verse 13. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place uh, whither he shall flee. What does that mean? If a man lie not in wait. It simply means this. If a man did not premeditate somebody's killing. uh, Let's say it was an accident. That happens, by the way. 
you think about today, there's a lot of, uh, you think about accidents on, um, at work. And you could have somebody that has a large piece of equipment and they're running the piece of equipment and they don't see another worker and uh, they swing around that huge piece of uh, equipment and they end up killing their coworker. Well, that, that was not intended. It was not out of anger that they did that. It was an accident. So, so how do you deal with uh, such uh, people? And so here in verse 13, this text here is really expanded. If a man lie not in wait, it means that he did not premeditate another person's murder. Uh, hold your place here and go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, there's two passages in the book of Deuteronomy uh, that expand on this specific command. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and um, notice with me, let's begin reading in verse 41. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41. And the word of God says, Then Moses severed three cities on this side Jordan towards the sun rising, uh, that the slayer might flee thither, which should kill his neighbor unaware. So here he says, those were called cities of refuge. And here's what would happen if somebody, notice, should kill his neighbor unawares. That means it was not premeditated. It was an accident that could happen. Then cities of refuge were established. Why? Because some in the community, maybe a brother of the man who was killed, might take it upon themselves to be an avenger of his brother, and he might chase him. And, and so cities of refuge were appointed for those who killed unintentionally uh, one of their neighbors. Notice it was unawares. And notice the specification in verse 42. And hateth him not in times past. Now that's a key. You see, not only did he kill him unawares, it was an accident, but he never hated him in the past. There is no documentation or witness in the past that says, well, he had something against him, right? Because somebody could say it was an accident, but then there's a history of quarrel between them, then all of a sudden that happens, and so uh, there has to be no history between them. That's why those cities of refuge were appointed. So notice the language very specific. If he killed his neighbor unawares and hated them not in time past, uh, notice, and that fleeing unto one of those ci these cities, he might live. So he names then... Um, a man, if you turn with me now to chapter 19, he, we also see that in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Uh, Deuteronomy 19, and uh, let's begin reading in verse 4. Deuteronomy 19, verse 4. Uh, notice the Bible says, And this is the case of the slayer, which shall flee thither, that he may live, whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hateth not in times past. So same thing here. Notice he says, He slew him ignorant, ignorantly. Um, he gives an example here. Notice. As when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live. Well, there you go. Here's an example. There's two men. They're out. Uh, uh, they're cutting trees down, and one man is uh, hitting with his axe the tree, and as he pulls back, uh, the head flies and hits his neighbor, and it kills him. According to the law, an eye for an eye, a brother could say an eye for an eye, but they appointed cities of refuge so that that man, if that had happened, could, slee, uh, could flee to a city of refuge. By the way, there has to be no documentation of hatred between them. 
that he can go and live peaceably in that city because it was an accident. Now, now by the way, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care. His life is completely changed. It is an accident, he did not, but his life is changed. He has to move away to another part. Uh, notice if we keep, keep reading uh, Deuteronomy 19, and let's go down to verse 6. Lest the avenger, well, at the middle of verse 5 he says, uh, He shall flee unto, uh, unto one of those cities and live, lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him, because the way is long and slay him. Whereas... He was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in times past. So here's, notice this is very important in the text. He says uh, at the end of verse 6, He is not worthy of death. Why is he not worthy of death? Inasmuch as he hated him not. That's why he's not worthy of death. That's how important God places an emphasis on on a brother being angry with another one, on, or not angry, but hating his, uh, uh, his neighbor, and he says he is not worthy of death, not because he didn't kill him, but because he doesn't hate him. You see the difference? That's what God emphasizes here. God is concerned with going to the root causes of a man smiting his neighbor. So God says if no hate is evident... That, that man is, is, not, uh, is innocent. Now, there are consequences for doing something unawares. The Bible says for doing something ignorantly, for doing something without hate. You could say, well, he was, you know, not that responsible. Maybe he didn't check on the head of the axe that it was, okay, whatever. There are consequences still, but he is not to lose his life. So when we go back to Exodus chapter 21, when he refers to, if a man lie not in wait, he says, a man that doesn't premeditate someone's killing, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Now notice, this is the seed form of the city of refuge, which is not instituted here at this time. They're not in the land. This is going to be instituted when they actually have the land, but they don't have the land yet. Uh, it's given in Deuteronomy when that instructions on the cities of refuge, when you go into the land and possess the land, I will appoint those cities. But they're not there yet, but it's in seed form. So someone who slays, smites, unawares, ignorantly, not premeditated, without any hatred, he can flee and be innocent. Verse 14 of Exodus 21. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. Okay, so here's what he says. Here's the difference. One slays his brother ignorantly, unawares, unintentionally, without any hatred. But the other one, notice, if a man come presumptuously. You know what that means? Presumptuously means with anger and pride. And slay him with guile. Now guile is that is he slays him or he kills him by trickery, uh, discreetly in subtlety. He says, thou shalt take him from mine altar. Now there's questions about what that re refers to. I, what is the altar? The altar is the place of mercy. And I believe that God would appoint the cities of refuge as a place of mercy by somebody who had killed somebody unaware or ignorantly, they could go to that city, find refuge, and have mercy from the slayer. But if somebody presumptuously 
and with guile killed his neighbor, you take him away from the city of refuge. So here's what the cities of refuge were. The city of refuge was a refuge from the slayer of a family member or a brother. But it was not a city of refuge from the law. The judges were to uh, extricate, uh, extract <laughs> from the cities of refuge the man who was presumptuous and who killed his brother with gout. He should be removed from the place of mercy. I believe that's what he's referring to. So, the emphasis here is God is more interested because of what we find in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 19. He says, if anger is present, then that's the problem. Hatred. That is the issue. And therefore, we think about hatred. What, what is hatred? Well, Hatred here, this is not, he's not describing, because he says in Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 19, if he had not hated him in the past. What does that mean? That this hatred is something that is cultivated over time. It is something that you hold, there's an animosity against someone that you hold for a long period of time, and finally you have your way. And so God says, if you are going to cultivate hatred in your life, then you will be condemned. You will be condemned. And so, we have to think about our own lives. What are we cultivating in our hearts? Again, God is surely against the smiting of His neighbor, but specifically here He makes a distinction between someone who cultivates hatred in his heart and someone who's just living his life and, you know, ends up killing someone, taking somebody, somebody's life unawares and ignorantly, and God condemns the man who has hatred in his heart. And the only thing that differentiates these two men is their heart condition. Their heart condition. Cultivating hatred is something that God despises. I wonder maybe if there's anybody this evening, and uh, although you say, well, I've never uh, smitten anyone, I've never uh, done the act, but what are you cultivating in your heart? Is there any animosity? You know, it could be a, a, a child to a parent, and you've been angry with your parents for all those years, and you're still holding on to that anger. It's not healthy for you. You say, well, I, I uh, had a co-worker or uh, a neighbor or a family, and whatever the case may be, but there's maybe somebody that's done something towards you, or maybe there's somebody you just didn't get along in your life, and you're cultivating that hatred in your heart. I say, stop holding on to that hatred. It's not healthy for you. And it's not okay to be in the place, well, I've never said, uh, oh, I've never uh, hit them, I've never, uh, uh, I've never done anything uh, with regards to physical harm towards them, and therefore my hands are clean. And I say to you that your hands are not clean if you're cultivating hatred. He moves on to the next uh, uh, section, and, and here we see really three verses, verse 15, 16, and 17, and, and we, he talks about uh, verse 15, He that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. 
Verse 16, he that stealeth a man and selleth him. Or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And verse 17, he that curtheth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. What is he talking about here? He's talking here about deeply rooted disregard and dishonor. In other words, there's such a disregard and dishonor in your heart that you would smite your father or mother. By the way, the consequences of that would be death at that time. Under uh, Israel, under a theocracy, under the rule of God. Not only that, he says, but if you have so much dishonor for your fellow man, so much disregard for him that you steal him and bring him to the slave market and sell him as a slave, you have such a disregard for your fellow man that you also deserve to die. And finally, he says, even uh, you may not smite your father and mother, but if you curse your father and mother, you have such a deep disregard and dishonor for your father and mother that you also deserve to die. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But, again, I want to, to emphasize not the act as much as what brings about the act. Why would a child smite his father or mother? Well, there's got to be something deeply rooted within them. Uh, remember, it was in Exodus chapter 20 that... The first commandment, the member of the first four commandments deal with uh, man's relationship with God. And the last six commandments deal with man's relationship with man. And the first one is honor thy father and thy mother. And he says that's your first human relationship. And I believe this relationship is named first because it is the first of all human relationship. And if you get that relationship right, then most likely your other relationships will be what they ought to be. Why? Because that's where you cultivate honor, respect for that first human relationship. I think we're pretty clear that if a young person today has disrespect and dishonor for their parents, they are most likely going to dishonor and disrespect any authority that is out in the world. They're going to disrespect and dishonor their employer. Everywhere they go, they're going to disrespect humans around them. That's why that home relationship, that first relationship is uh, highly important. And so something has happened in the, the heart of a young person that has such a disregard and dishonor for a father and mother that he would strike his father or mother. The consequences would be death. But then you think about stealing a man. The Bible refers here, he that stealeth a man. <laughs> and here, here's what he says. It's the equivalent of striking him and killing him. You're robbing him of his life. You can't do that. You can't have such... It's interesting. I, I don't think that those are separated. The man that strikes his father and mother is probably going to be a man-stealer. Why? Because he's got that disregard and disrespect already in his heart. How can you have a man strike his father and mother and then think that he is going to honor other humans around him? He's not going to do that. The man-stealer, according to the Bible, if he is found selling him, or if he's found in his hand, shall be put to death. But there's a third area. He says, now, we, we dealt with the most evident dishonor and disrespect if you strike, but let's go to even something that is on the same, according to God's word, on the same level as far as transgression. If you curse your father or mother, 
you were to be put to death. Why put curse and smiting on the same level? Because it comes from the same rooted disregard in the heart. You see, the reason why they're equal in consequence is because they come from the same evil, wicked place. That's what God is interested in dealing with, the heart of man. So we see the cultivated anger. God deals with that. He, he deals with the deeply rooted disregard and dishonor that a man has for another man in his heart. Uh, but then the, the third section is, uh, I believe here is referring to the impulsive anger, uh, the impulsive retaliation. Uh, you could say the, the passions of the moment. And from uh, verse 18 down to verse 27, I think that's what he's referring to. If you notice with me, verse 18, he says, and if men strive together. So it doesn't need to be, there doesn't need to be premeditation here. They're just fighting, right? Uh, they, uh, uh, maybe one of their ox plowed in his field and said, like, wait, get your ox off of my field. Well, no, it's my field. No, it's my field. There's the landmarks and you're, you're stepping on my field. And then they get into a scuffle. Right? They strive. They're striving uh, together. Verse 18. And one smite another with a stone or with his fist and he die not but keepeth his bed. If he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And so, okay, if you don't kill him, but if you injure him, this man, if he, has, he keepeth his bed, he, has, he is injured, he has to recover from that injury. Whatever days he missed, you're going to have to pay him for those days that he missed. Until, according to the scriptures, he is fully healed. And he can operate as he once did. You're going to pay for that. So here, we're talking here about this, the impulsive anger. There is consequences to uh, that impulse. Uh, and so he gives an example. Now again, this is not a commandment. It's an example, a scenario as to how to judge between two men. And, uh, and there's a series of examples and consequences. So verse 18, we have an example. Two men striving. One is injured. Here are the consequences in verse 19. And so in the impulsive passion, he takes it further than he had previously intended, right? And so they're scuffling, but then one of them takes a stone or a fist. Uh, when the Bible says striving, that's more of a, a scuffle, maybe like the pushing each other and uh, kind of wrestling with each other. But when somebody makes a fist or somebody takes a rock, now, in the impulse of the moment, they are going further than they intended at the onset. Right? It's a passion of the moment. Crime, you could say. Uh, then there are consequences for that. Uh, we go on to the second example, verse 20 and 21. He says, um, and if a man smite his servant. So now we have two neighbors, verse 18. Now we have a master and his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand. He shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished, uh, for he is his money. And so that says, remember, you would pay if you're a fellow neighbor, you would uh, pay by giving the man his wages for the day he lost working. If you strike a servant, now if he, if he die, then you die, an eye for an eye, life for life. But if he lives, after you strike him, and it seems again, in the passion of the moment, you're angry with your servant and you strike him, 
Now, if he lives, well, if he had time to recover, you lost his labor, right? And the servant is your money, and so basically you've done damage to yourself. You've paid for the consequences of the impulsiveness of your anger. By the way, there are always consequences to impulsive anger. You know, I, I think that that's where we have to uh, look at in our lives and say, uh, God not only wants to rid our lives of our hearts cultivating hatred for a fellow man or having a deep-rooted disregard for another human being, uh, but really God wants to help us with our impulsiveness. And there are consequences to that. Notice the next example of verse 22. Uh, if men strive and hurt a woman with child. So here's another example, another scenario. Two men are being selfish. They're trying to prove who's the strongest and they're in a conflict, but then somebody else outside of that conflict is affected. A woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow. He shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Now that's a... Uh, I mean, what do you think the husband is going to do? His wife is pregnant. And in the scuffle, she is hurt, loses her fruit or the baby. A life for a life. The judge will do what the husband says. And don't look at me. Sir. That's what the Bible says here. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Um, he shall pay as the judges determine. Verse 23. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Do you notice here? It's not like what we read, what Jesus said, the misteaching of the times of Jesus Christ. It is not okay to exercise revenge. But it is okay to punish the offender. It's not okay to live by impulse. And there are consequences by living by impulse. Uh, but uh, when somebody is going to be judged, it is a right thing to do before the judges. That's what he mentions here, the judges. It is not given on the individual person to avenge themselves because somebody has done wrong to them to say, I'm going to get that person back. It is not for you to do that. Now the judges are required if they are to honor God to meet the punishment for the offense. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The context of this is not individual retribution. It is what the judge must do judicially, civilly to preserve the nation of Israel. That's what that is. The Jews were teaching during the time of Christ. He says, you've heard that have been saying an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But he says, but I'm telling you, don't avenge yourself. But see, they had used that. They had taken that out of context, as many people do today, right? They take things out of the context. So this is what the Bible means, and it doesn't mean that at all. And so the consequences are life for life, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay. The consequences are equal to the offense. 
Now, if our nation would just get a hold of that, we would be a better nation across the board. If the crimes that were committed were meted out and the sentence was equal to the crime, there would be less crime. I'm not running for president. (laughs) But if I were running, that's the platform I'd be running on. All right. Let's move on from that. Uh, Notice verse 26. Another example. And if a man smite the eye of his servant, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. Verse 27, again, so there is both example and consequence. Verse 27, example, if he smite out his manservant's tooth, or his maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sakes. And so that's uh, example and consequence. But it's interesting to note here that actually the consequence is greater than the crime here. Right? If you strike out your servant's eye, then you have to let him go free. Well, he hasn't completed his seven years. doesn't matter. You were impulsive. And so now you're going to, if it was in this first year, you would lose. So let's put it this way. Remember the scenario of last time. The majority of the time that a servant would be under a master is because he had an indebtedness that he couldn't pay. Let's say this man allowed him to borrow money. He couldn't repay. That man had to serve uh, him for seven years as repayment. That's why the proverb says the borrower is slave to the lender. Right? If you owe the bank, in the old time, the idea here is that if you didn't pay your wages, you would pay for it one way or another. If you can't pay for it money-wise, you would pay for it in service for seven years. That's not permanent. At the end of seven years, you could go free. And so if a master smote his servant in his eye, he lost his eye. Let's say it was in year one, you would lose that money for, for the five, five next years. So in that sense, you could say, well, that's a permanent eye. That's a big deal. I agree. But the point is, that consequence would be severe. So the point that we see here is that he deals here in the last part here with the impulsive anger that happens. Two men striving. Um, verse 20 and 21. Uh, a man probably impulsively striking, smiting his servant, his maid with a rod. He got upset and in his impulse and his passion of the moment, he did something he ought not to do. If two men get in strife and they hurt somebody else, and there is also consequence for their impulse and the passion of the moment. Uh, same thing if a man smite his servant's eye. Right? Uh, in other words, that is not the master saying, I'm going to knock out his eye. I'm going to knock out. It's, you were impulsive. And that's what happened because of your impulse. And so you're going to pay for your impulse. Which tells us that God is, wants to deal with the impulses of man. Uh, what are the impulses of man? What is natural to the flesh? Galatians. We're going to be in uh, chapter 6. Notice, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here it is. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. What's the next word? 
Hatred. That's a work of the flesh. Variance, emulation. What's the next word? Wrath. Next word. Strife. Seditions, heresies. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That's the works of the flesh. That, that's the, the impulse of man. And that's why he tells the believers here in the New Testament, um, uh, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here is the works of the flesh. Here is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. I don't think I got the order right. You have it right in your Bible. And so the fruit of the Spirit are those. The reason why I emphasize this is God here, I believe in this text, as he's, right, as he's talking through, to, through Moses to his people, I believe he is emphasizing to them the destructive nature of anger or hatred. And what he does really in the text is God tells his people, you think you're hurting somebody else, but you're hurting yourself. You're destroying your own life. The, there is a destructive nature to cultivated hatred over time in your heart. There is a, um, a severe consequence for a deeply rooted disregard and dishonor for your fellow man. And there is a destructive nature to the, the passions of the moment and the impulse of the moment. Uh, and the Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. So what, we, what, what should we do? Well, let's, let's make a... We do not operate under a theocracy in Exodus chapter 21. We are part of the church and there is instruction given to the church. So I'm just like to end to make application for us today in contrast to Exodus... Not in contrast, in comparison as a commentary on Exodus chapter 21. Uh, so turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be done here in Romans chapter 12, so that we can make application for us. Again, remember, when we read about the laws and the judgments and the ceremonies, all, all that points us to God. This is not just about the rules for men. This is about what God uh, wants, what God loves, what God reviles, and He wants His people to be holy as He is holy. So Romans chapter 12. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 14. Here it is. Now please. This is the scriptures. It's not my opinion. I'm just going to read it. The scriptures will make sufficient application. This is what God says. This is God's standard for the, New Test the believers in the New Testament church. Let me just say this. It's not an easy list. It's quite difficult at times as we think about those truths that we find here to think that we can live by them. Uh, but I'll give you the... Um, the answer as to how we can live in such a way. Notice verse 14 of Romans 12. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. 
be of the same line one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estates. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man, what? Evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give play, uh, give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Notice what he says, give place. He says, do not take the place of God. Don't do it. Don't take the place of God. Don't mete out vengeance because vengeance only belongs to God. God is in charge of the consequences you and I are not. And so he says in verse 20. So those were negatives, right? Okay, if your enemy does that, don't do that back. Don't, don't respond. Don't be impulsive. Uh, don't cultivate hatred. Don't, don't live this negative life. Actually, here is now what you must do. <laughs> See, if we thought that that list was hard, it's about to get harder. Verse 20, therefore, if that enemy hunger, ignore him. Oh, no, that's not what it is. Feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, uh, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you notice here, the verse 21 is very interesting. He says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What is he saying to the believer? You, you don't be overcome with evil. He's not saying, don't be overcome by your neighbor's evil towards you. You don't be overcome by evil that comes from your own heart. Don't let that take over your life. Don't allow hatred to, to be cultivated in your heart. Don't let that evil dominate and rule your life. But rather overcome evil with good. So the Christian life is not just a negative life. Okay, well, I didn't retaliate. If your enemy hungers, did you feed him? Did you do the positive thing? There are things that we must not do, but then there are things that we must do. So, how do we do that? Well, early on in chapter 5, you remember what he said? Turn with me to chapter 5 of Romans. <clears throat> Let me ask you this tonight. Are you justified? Are you justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? Are your sins forgiven? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are... Are you in Christ Jesus tonight? Then you are justified. Okay, here is for you. Uh, Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in... Tribulation also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. How? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Say, Pastor, I can't do Romans 12. You're right. You yourself, you can't do that. That's correct. It's impossible. But if you are justified tonight, 
and the Spirit of God lives within you because He's been given to you, then the love of God, the divine love of God, that same love that loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that same love can be permeated in our lives by the Holy Ghost. So here's what we need to simply ask. God, when there's any hatred or the impulses that come out, says, God, would you shed your love in my heart by the Holy Ghost? Would you help me not only not to avenge myself of my neighbor, but when my enemy hungers, Lord, would you help me? Would you so dispense your love in my heart that I would feed my enemy? See, that's the spirit of the law. And God wants us to deal not just with our actions. He wants to deal something that is deeper. He wants to, deal, uh, uh, he wants to address something in our lives that is of much greater value. Have people throughout the centuries gotten away with murder? I'm sure many have. I was thinking about the, there's cold cases. Only 1% of cold cases get solved. Many people have gotten away with it. And so, but for us, it's not about getting away with an act. Is we want to deal with what causes, what would cause any action. We want to deal with our hearts. And that's where God deals with. That's what God is interested in. And so, may the Lord help us. We learn something about God. We also learn something about, about man in Exodus chapter 21. So let's be very careful about smiting and that hatred, that dishonor and disregard for our fellow man. But let's, Lord, ask, let's ask the Lord to help us to have His love shed abroad in our hearts for them. Let's